Uh, in the first service, um, Ryan said, as he was walking off, he said, go get him, Tiger. And it, I was anticipating it this time, but it never happened. So, so there's that. Uh, so today, um, today we're wrapping up our series and our, our, our study of the book of Nehemiah. And um, over the last couple of weeks, I, I, I have fallen in love as I have reread this book of Nehemiah. I, I, I just love the story. I, I love the history of it. I love what's going on. And I, from the conversations that I've had with many of you, I know that the same is true for many of you, uh, that, that you have, you've enjoyed watching Nehemiah's pursuit, his relentless pursuit of God and remaining faithful throughout all sorts of trials that he has faced. And so um, it, it, it's been such an incredible, uh, incredible series, and I'm just so excited. But today, as we close out, as we, as we finish the book of Nehemiah, uh, the book ends uh, rather abruptly. Um, kind of weird, but rather, rather abrupt, abruptly. It doesn't end like a love story would end, or it doesn't end like one of those little golden books, you know? It doesn't end like, like really happy, I guess you could say. It just, it just ends. Um, and, and now, before you start thinking like, Great. What did I just sign up for? Why are we here? It's not going to be that type of message, so just stay with me for a few minutes. Actually, the, uh, the, the, the way that the story ends shows us about God's relentless pursuit and God's incredible incredible grace in that he is always pursuing us. So as we kind of talk through this, if, if, if you're a Christian, if, if, if you're a believer in here today, uh, it, it's going to help you see a little bit about us and it'll make sense of some of us. And if you're not a believer uh, and, and you're in here, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you see some of our inconsistencies and see where we have some shortcomings as, as followers of Jesus. And so um, that's kind of where we are today. Um, but but how many of you have ever been to the beach before? Seriously, I, I, there's a lot of you. We should have a vacation trip. Um, but um, so, so the beach. So um, I, I grew up at the beach. I grew up where many of you vacationed. Um, that was kind of my home. That was kind of where I was from. And so, and so at the beach as a kid, one of the things that, that you are in, instilled with, like one of the things that, that your parents tell you over and over and over again, is that you have to always make sure you're looking at your stuff if you're in the water. Always make sure you see where our umbrella is. Always, that's actually the reason why they made beach umbrellas. Um, crazy colors. But that's the, like, always make sure you know where our stuff is. Because as you're sitting in the water, and if you've ever been to the beach, especially into the ocean, you know this, that as you're sitting there just kind of bobbing and doing your thing, you start just moving. You don't even know what's happening, but you, you look up and now all of a sudden you're a couple hundred yards from your stuff and you just got to try to swim or the smart people just get out and walk on the sand. Uh, but, but this, this drift happens. This, this drift happens and in each one of us, there is a drift that takes place if we're not careful. I heard a story earlier this week about a family that went to the beach and uh, the, the dad, he was, he was staying up on the, on the sand with the kids and they were building things and having fun and playing. And the mom, she just needed a break, I guess. And she goes and gets, gets in the raft and she's just going to go floating. So she's out in the ocean, just kind of floating, kind of doing her thing. And then after a little bit of time, she wakes up in a panic because she realizes that she's a few hundred yards from shore. 
a few hundred yards from shore. I, I have to imagine, like I, I imagine the dad was like being great, but I have to imagine that if Lara was in a little raft and suddenly she's a few hundred yards from shore, I would have known that. I, I, I feel like if she gets a, just a little bit, like I, I would have known these things, but he doesn't. But thankfully there was a lifeguard and the lifeguard, he, 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 he jumps in, he goes after, after the wife. And by the time that he gets to the raft, they are over a half a mile from shore. Because drift happens. Drift happens. And this is the same thing that we find here in the final chapter of Nehemiah. That there's a drifting that took place in the hearts and the lives of the Israelites. But before we jump in, before we jump into scripture, I, I just wanted to say that um, these types of, 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 of series, these types of sermons, whatever you want to call it. Like, these are exciting for me because you, you basically, like, sure, they're topical and we can all take stuff from that. But for the most part, we just take a, like a chunk of scripture and we just rip right through it. And that, that's exciting for me. Um, and, and so that's, um, that's what we're doing today. We're just going to take some scripture and just going to just chew on it. So um, it's, it's kind of like a life group, I guess, in the sense like like you're just reading a lot. But, I mean, not reading a lot, but you're, like you're going through a, like a very specific thing, except Except I'm the only one talking, so it's probably not much like a life group. Um, but it, anyways, so Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, verse 4. Before we jump in, again, like a, another thing. Um, I, don't, I, I don't speak ancient Hebrew or anything like that, and so I'm going to just gonna pronounce things with confidence, and if it's not right, talk to me after. 13, chapter 13, verse 4. Before this happened, Eliashib, the priest who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple, of our God, and who was also a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, various articles for the temple and the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priests. I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I, I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. All right, so so here's here, here's here, here's what's going on. This is what's happening. Uh, Nehemiah had set up a bunch of reforms. He, he put a bunch of things in place. Um, he he had set up all sorts of different systems and structures, and and and, and had basically turned the hearts and the minds of the Israelites back towards God. And so they were focused on God. They were running towards God, and they, their lives now. Um, modeled that. It, it was lined up with obedience to God. And so Nehemiah, he heads back to King Artaxerxes of Persia, 800 so or so miles away. And so he has returned back. Um, and this was 12 years after he first arrived in Jerusalem. This is, this is important for us to understand. He, he goes back to Babylon 12 years after arriving in Jerusalem. And so he goes back, and we're not 100% sure why he goes back. Like, we don't know if he was summoned by the king. We don't know if he was ending, like, fulfilling some end of the contract or whatever it is. But he goes back, and then in verse 7, it says that, that he comes back to Jerusalem. And many of the reforms that he put into place have drifted 
if they haven't just been, if they haven't just fallen apart altogether. And so he was in Jerusalem for 12 years. He, he, he was in Jerusalem, not just rebuilding the wall, but rebuilding people's hearts. He, 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 was, he was turning people back towards God. And so for 12 years, this took place. And then he goes away. He goes back to King Artaxerxes and things start to drift. Now, if, you, if you're not sure who Tobiah is, or if you don't remember, Tobiah, we, we, we read a lot about him in chapter 6, but he actively worked against Nehemiah. He did everything that he could to, to make sure that the rebuilding of the wall didn't happen. Um, in chapter 6, it actually says that he hired a false prophet to prophesy to Nehemiah that God had told him Nehemiah was going to be murdered and that he needed to leave. Tobiah had done everything that he could to undermine the people of God and make little of, their, of the seriousness of their pursuit of God. And so Nehemiah leaves. He, he leaves town, gets out. He goes back to King Artaxerxes. And then one of the priests, one of the caretakers of the house of God, one, one of the people at the very center of which God's people um, were encouraged or motivated or comforted or corrected, one of these people clears out a room and made a house for Tobiah in the middle of the house of God, clearing out the articles of, the articles of worship to God in order to make room for a man who was very much against the things of God. We are all prone to drifting. All of us, myself included, we are all prone to to drifting. Uh, It's very, very easy for us to get lazy in our faith, if we're honest. It's very easy for us to get lazy in our pursuits of God. It's very easy to take a day off. And our tendency is that we allow the things, uh, we allow things in our lives that shape us in a way that they don't move us towards God, but they actually move us away from God. And we may not even know it. Like we, we, we have a tendency to, to, to allow things that aren't necessarily terrible into our, li- into our lives and shape us as we move forward. And so for the most part, for the most part, it's not going to be some overly horrific thing. Like for the most part, those things that we allow into our lives, they're not going to be like the crazy things or, or the scary things or the hard things. And like for the most part, many of us will never struggle with an addiction to heroin or, or, or whatever. But, but many of us will struggle in these areas of, of, uh, of, of like these morally neutral areas. Most of us will struggle in these things that don't seem to be necessarily bad, but when we really take a look at it, they have done nothing but take our eyes and our focus off of Jesus. I call these areas like, like true-ish. Like, like it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like if this is our line of truth, if this is what we're chasing, if this is our pursuit, if we're here, it's not necessarily going to be somewhere over there, but maybe it's just one degree off. And that as we are following this one degree off, We suddenly wake up and we have no idea where we are or how we got there. But we allow these morally neutral things into our lives without keeping them in check, without watching them, without making sure that drift is not happening. Last week, we talked about two ways that God helps us to keep from drifting. And the first is God's word. We need to constantly be in God's word every single day, be in God's word like wherever you are, what's going on, make sure that you are digesting the word of God. 
And the second thing we talked about was being in community. It is so important for us to be in community. If you're not in a life group right now, make sure that you do not leave this place without joining one or starting one. But make sure that you don't leave here today because life groups and communities matter. I have, I have blind spots in my life and I need people that are going to speak truth in, in, into my life. Now, thankfully, I'm very blessed that, that Laura knows these areas in my life and she knows, she knows the, the areas where I have a tendency to drift. And so if I start to, she'll call me out on it. I also have a small group of friends that they see, the, the, they know me and they, if, they, if they experience or if they see drift in my life, they're going to call me out on it as well. And so we need people around us that are going to speak truth and hope and life into our lives. And so we have the word of God and we have each other. Um, which is why we talk so much about our groups, which is why life groups matter so much because it's not, it's not good enough to just show up on a Sunday morning and hear a sermon or hear, sing some songs. It's not, that's not enough because there's so much more that God is trying to tell you, trying to speak into your life. And so we need each other and we need each other honestly. We don't need the, the pretty you like like, like the one that's all put together, the one that has everything figured out, the, the, the one that, that um, um, knows exactly what's happening, knows exactly where they're going, the one that runs around wearing a cape, the one whose kids never cry, the one whose marriage is perfect. Like we, don't need, we don't need the pretty you. We need the real, new, the real you. We need to really know what's happening. One of the most beautiful parts about Christianity is, is that our weaknesses actually encourage one another to greater faith. When, when we are weak, when we are broken, when we are um, messed up, like our weaknesses and being real with people with, within our weaknesses, that encourages other people to greater faith. So let's keep going. Uh, verse 10, it says, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? And then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. Once again, more, uh, whoops, verse 12. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms. Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Padiah, one of the Levites. And I appointed Hanan, son of Zachar, and, and grandson of Mataniah as their assistant. These men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Remember this good deed, oh my God, and do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. In those days, verse 15, in those days I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath, and they were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in, and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? Wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city? Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath be to be desecrated in this way? 
Then I commanded that, that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I spoke sharply to them and said, what are you doing out here camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites and to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also. Oh my God, have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. So um, a quick note uh, where it says, uh, if you do this again, I will arrest you. Some versions say I will lay hands on you. Um, I imagine it's not like the laying on of hands for prayer. Um, so that probably would have been like, all right, we're out. See ya. So, all right. So, so do, you hear what, do you hear what's happening in this section? Did you, did you understand? Were you tracking with what was going on in this chunk of scripture? Nehemiah, is, is, he, he is saying like, we've been here before. We've walked down this path before. Like, were we not listening when, when, when Solomon was walking through this? Were we not listening when our fathers were walking through this? We know how this plays out. And so here we are looking at Nehemiah a few thousands late, years later while he's pointing the people back to something that happened a few thousand years before. Saying we know how this ends up. Why are we here again? Why, why is this something that's going on? And the reason is because we have a tendency to drift. We have a tendency to drift. So much of, of, of the topic of Sabbath has missed on us today. 2018 is a, is a much different time and we couldn't fully understand why it's such a big deal. And, and, and so, so here's why. Because we have this tendency to do instead of to be. We have a tendency within us to, to, to do things instead of to be. Sabbath was woven into the very fabric of the world because we have the tendency to try and earn what cannot be earned. We have this tendency within us to try to earn God's love, earn God's favor, earn God's blessing, rather than just being and resting in his presence. Sabbath was created to allow people like you and to me to rest before a holy God, to be fully present with him and to not have to worry about the cattle or the sheep or the paperwork or the kids or whatever. It was designed to keep us grounded and anchored to keep us from drifting. When we get focused on, on doing, that now becomes our identity. When we get focused on, on doing things and completing things, that, that is now who we are. And we have to continue to produce and continue to produce and continue to produce because our identity is now wrapped up in that. And that becomes crushing. That becomes suffocating for so many of us. And so Sabbath was created to save us from us. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. About the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other language or some other people uh, and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. 
Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? I, I demanded. There was no king from any nation who could compare to him. And God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by intermarrying foreign women? Um, one, of the, one of the sons of Joiada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat, the Horonite. So I banished him from my presence. Remember, remember them, O oh my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought, uh, brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O oh my God. And that's it. Strange, right? It just ends. Nehemiah, he goes back to King Artaxerxes, kind of has some time there, and then he comes back to Jerusalem, sees what's going on, beats up a bunch of people, pulls out people's hair, and then those credits roll. And then the book's over. You're like, did, did I miss something? Like, what, what's going on? Like, clearly I could have missed what was, what was happening. But the, the final thing that I want to make sure that we grasp and the final thing that I want to make sure that we understand from the book of Nehemiah is, is that it's so easy for us to drift and to get lazy with our pursuit of God. It's so easy for us to, 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 to turn our hearts and our minds away from God if just for a moment and that could mess up everything for us. It's very much the, 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 the painting by Michelangelo of, 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 of God and, and Adam, like the, the, the painting of creation where you have God is just reaching down with all that he has to try to get to Adam. And Adam is just kind of laid back, lazy with his hand up. It's very much this pursuit that we find ourselves in so often that we just get lazy with how we pursue God. And myself included in this. And so this is why I started out today's message the way that I did. Because this shows how great God is. It shows how great and how, and, and, and how awesome he is. Be, because, because God knows that we are lazy. And yet he still pursues us. God knows that we're not perfect and he still pursues us. God knows that we're going to turn. God knows that we're going to run. God knows these things and yet he still pursues you and me. But let's not make, let's make sure that we don't use this as an excuse to be lazy. Let's make sure that we don't get into this routine where, where we start to believe that, yeah, it's okay if I take a day off. It's okay if I take a week off. It's okay if I do this because God is still pursuing me. Yeah, that, that's true. But let's not, let's not use that as an excuse to be lazy. Let's not allow to allow our spiritual drifting affect one more generation. Let's be serious. Let, 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 let's seek after. Let's chase after God, what, whatever is happening, because we have to press on. Even when it doesn't make sense to, even when we don't see God or feel God or hear God, we must continue to pursue God. We must be proactive. We must continue to take steps towards God. So get, a, get in the word. Join a group. Allow God to be in every moment of everything. Faithfulness is not found in the short term. It requires faith and effort over time to see the lasting results 
of what is rebuilt and what is being rebuilt. And so for the Israelites, rebuilding the wall wasn't enough. They had to repair their hearts. Making sure that the wall was was, um, built and all of that and setting up these different structures and systems in place, like that wasn't enough if they weren't going to look at their hearts. If they weren't going to make sure that they were constantly, every single day, focused on God. So chapter 12, chapter 12 ends um, with things being awesome. Uh, it, it ends with their worship being on point. It ends like things are super sweet. Uh, and I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, That day they offered great sacrifices and exuberant celebration because God had filled them with great joy. The women and children raised their happy voices with all the rest. Jerusalem's jubilation was heard far and wide. It should have ended there, right? Like the book of Nehemiah should have just stopped with that one. Like let's, but the reality is like, that's not real life. That's not how real life normally works, right? Because there's always something that's lying ahead of us. There's, there, there's always something that's next that's, that's going to try it with all of its might to turn our hearts and our minds from God. And so that's why this book was so important. That, that, that's, why, that's why this matters so much. Because the Israelites, they, they, they had their, in chapter 12, like it ends with, they, they, their hearts and their minds were focused on God. They were singing praises. Things were good. Things were great. It was awesome. They were shouting up. Like life was good. But then we turn the page into chapter 13 and they have forgotten. They have drifted. And that's the reality of life. That's where we find ourselves. We have to every single day be seeking after God. And so hear me out. Like I, I understand what it's like to pursue God and to never hear anything back. I know what it's like to chase after God and to feel like I'm running as fast as I can after God and to never hear anything. I get that. I've been there. I I know what that's like, but it is in those moments. It's in those times when we are chasing after God the most, where things seem silent, where things seem dim. Like it's in those moments where we have to keep going because God is doing the most and the best in those times. And so if God feels distant right now, be excited because that means that he's doing the most within you right now. And so just keep going. Keep taking steps towards God right now. And if you're in that moment, if you're in the place where it doesn't seem like anything makes sense, if you're in a time where just everything feels like it's just coming off the wheels, keep going. Maybe you're, you're, you're struggling because you don't feel like you fit in anywhere. Just keep going. Maybe, maybe you, you have just experienced one of the harder parts of your life. Just keep going. Keep going. Keep pressing. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Maybe your kids are making decisions. You're like, man, I don't even know what to do. Just keep going. Keep pressing. Keep seeking after God every single day. It's a lot like a tulip. You guys have seen tulips, right? Like really pretty flowers that, um, for the most part, they, they lie dormant the entire year. Like they're it's a bulb. There's underground, and they just do their thing, and it, it, you don't even see them. But they endure these harsh winters. They they endure um, cold temperatures. They 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 endure silence, and then seemingly out of nowhere, boom, there it is. And it's beautiful. But that's a lot like us. That's a lot like us, and that that, that that's a lot like what Nehemiah was going going against. 
We're going to face so much opposition. We're going to face so many things that are going to come up in front of us that are going to try to pull us and distract us from the things of God. But we have to keep going. We have to keep moving towards God. As we close out today, um, I have a question. Um, the question that I really want you guys you to wrestle with, the thing that I really want you to um, like, don't answer it right now because it's an easy question if you just answer it right now. But really think about this. Will you remain faithful when life doesn't make sense? When, when everyone is telling you to quit and run a different direction? Will you remain faithful to God and the calling that he has placed on your life? Will you remain faithful in the hard times as well as the good times? in the times of silence, as well as the times where you're standing on top of a mountain, will you remain faithful? And will you surround yourself with people that are, that are good for you, that are speaking truth and hope and life in, into you? Surround yourselves with good, good people that when they see drift in your life, that they'll call you out on it and call you back. Will you remain faithful? Will you remain anchored to the cross of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 6 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Will you remain faithful? I want to end with a, just a, a little bit of encouragement perhaps, but um, um, something for you like, what, what needs to be done today? What do you need to take care of today? Um, I don't believe that we, we, that we have the ability to fix ourselves. I don't believe that we have that within us. I believe that it's God who fixes us. But I do believe that we have steps that we need to take to get us to line back up with who God is and what God wants from us. And so here in just a moment, as the band is playing, I'm going to encourage you guys to go write down that step, whatever it is. On the sides of the auditorium, we have um, uh, pieces of paper and some fencing. And I want you to write whatever that is. What, what does that look like? What is your next step? Write that on a sheet of paper and then just put it in the fence. And symbolism of, 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 of prayer, just saying like, God, this is me. Like, here it is. This is what I'm doing. This is my next step. I want you to take this. And so maybe for some of you, that's going to be joining a group. Maybe you've, maybe you've put it off for far, like far too long. And you just need to join a group. Maybe some of you in here right now, or um, you've just gotten kind of lazy in your walk, and you need to make sure that you do something that is going to help you stay accountable. Maybe some of you need to start, start serving somewhere here at the church. But whatever that next step is for you, you need to do it. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you've never stood before your church and went public with your faith. Well, that needs to happen. And so what is your next step? We have some people on our prayer team that they'll be over there as well. And if you just need someone to pray for you, find someone that'll pray for you. So will you remain faithful? And what is your next step? Will you pray with me? God, we love you so much, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you're moving and the things that you're doing in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that you would um, just continue to move us to, uh, to, to, to being a people that is more lined up with who you are and with what you want from us. 
God, I pray that you would continue to do this immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. God, I pray for our people. I pray for River Club Church and River Club people. God, I pray that you would do incredible things in our lives, that we would be able to point to you as goodness, that we would be able to say it's because of you that this happened. May we remain faithful to the calling that you have placed on our lives. God, it's in your matchless name that we pray. 